If you really want to get grow, there are these people out here who'd love to come in and experience it. But you got to be that ambassador. And we from the outside can help be that ambassador by saying, "Hey, it's okay to go. I mean, here's good to do it." That was Bruce Corey. He's an economist and associate vice president for government and community relations at Concordia College in St. Paul. Bruce has been an advocate for ethnic enclaves in the city for over 20 years. Ethnic enclaves have been an important resource in support of Minnesota's cultural and ethnic communities since the earliest history of the state. But over time, these enclaves have also become a draw for the wider communities that surround the enclaves. So how do ethnic enclaves serve the needs of their community members while engaging new people? I'm Brant Williams. And I'm Jonathan Rabb. And this is Untangled Roots. One of the most interesting things about ethnic enclaves is how they embrace cultural practice and norms from the ethnic communities they were built around. The enclave members are immersed in their culture daily. Erica Trin is a business owner in the Little Mekong district of St. Paul. She grew up in Little Mekong and now owns a business passed down from her mom called Ahn's Hairstylists. Here, Erica describes what she enjoys about Little Mekong. It's cool that we have a, a little community that, not, and it's not just a Chinatown, you know, it's Southeast Asia and Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia and there's Chinese also and it's it's nice to have that kind of community here and people know of the community. There's so many different cultures, so many different cuisines, so many uh, different um, communities that we can all share and I think we should know more of than just China. An important touchstone in many ethnic enclaves is the presence of churches, mosques, and other religious institutions. For instance, religion has played a strong cultural role in many Mexican-American communities in Minnesota. Mexicans began arriving in Minnesota in large numbers in the early 1900s to work in sugar beet fields and at what was then the largest sugar processing factory in Chaska. That's according to the 1974 NPR documentary In Search of a Better Life. After the harvest, some workers stayed and worked in meatpacking plants and settled on St. Paul's west side. Many later lost their homes in the 1950s and 60s when the city cleared the west side flats to make room for industry, but ended up staying nearby. At Holy Rosary Catholic Parish in Minneapolis, priest Jose Santiago is often the first point of contact for newly arrived immigrants. He spoke to NPR News about the importance of that role. Many immigrants come to the church, first of all, to identify with their faith and their culture because they know that in the church they're immediately accepted, they're welcomed, they can pray in their language. And many times most churches uh, provide social services and other services for them to welcome them into the country. When I first started working at Insight News back in the early 90s, the offices were located down on University Avenue um, in uh, South Asian, Southeast Asian um, enclave. And we were located in a building called International Plaza. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think it's still there. Yep, it is. 
and we were in a indoor it's it's kind of like a little indoor mall for folks who haven't been there so you can walk in the building and there are storefronts on the inside and i remember like walking around there were there was a at the time there was a karaoke spot where people could just go in and start singing um to and the music just played throughout the mall and so you heard people singing throughout karaoke throughout the mall while i'm working as a reporter and um there was a coffee shop and there's a few other things there's a grocery down at one end and um uh, a restaurant which is which had since moved to another building but i remember like in some of those shops you'd go in and there would be business cards in there for other business other services that were either maybe it was um uh, a, rela- a, a relative of the person who ran the shop. It's like, oh yeah, my my brother has um, you know, a tailor shop down the street or something like that. Or you go into the coffee shop and there were business cards from a variety of different um, uh, businesses in there. So, so if you're going in looking, getting a, cu- a cup of coffee, you can also see business cards for other, you know, um, Asian-owned businesses that are, they're advertising, they're doing their, their, their networking in that way. And so, and, and some of these businesses too were just dual businesses anyway. I mean, if it was, you know, a, a, a tailor and a notary public, you know, and in the same shop, you could go drop off your, your pants for some tailoring and then, you know, get something notarized. I mean, it just seems like, and that's, that to me sounds like more out of, again, necessity you've got in, in taking advantage of You've got a, a space where people are, are are gathering naturally. You can have yeah. all these other options for people to, you know, it's like here, here's a, you know, you need to get, you know, these papers notarized. You can do that here. You can go get a cup of coffee. Um, yeah. You know, go sing a song. It's also interesting, and I might be wrong about this, but I think a lot of the things you see is the businesses aren't competing with each other in the same way. Yeah. They're like complementary to each other. Right. And so you're not seeing two tailor shops. You're seeing like a bakery, a real estate agent, a car dealer, uh, a restaurant, and then like two other things instead of like five restaurants. Yeah. Or even the restaurants maybe, maybe um, I don't know, they, maybe they're, uh, not to say that they're, they wouldn't be competitive, but, you know, they may have some, um, they may share em- employees even. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Food can be a powerful way to bring an ethnic enclave together, but it can also be a way to welcome people in to experience something new. Bruce Corey, the economist from Concordia College in St. Paul, gave us his perspective on the choices that enclaves can make if they want to be more open and welcoming to the wider community. I think that's where there is a market for an authentic experience. And and then there's this market for what I would call a sanitized experience. So you, 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 and each one of them, um, uh, in, when you're talking about equity and growth, you probably you need both because the number of people who wouldn't like uh, people might be hesitant to go to a mom and pop store, like even say on Little Mekong, they said, oh, I don't know what that is, right? Uh, And if when they walk in the door, if people do not welcome them and say, 
Like when I, I like to go to Snelling Cafe. When I go there, the guy says, hey, how are you? And then, right, you feel welcome. And someone explains to you, here's what we have. If you take the time to explain to people, then a lot of these young people, especially the college students around here, will start going there. But if they are not feeling connected, then they'll go to these other places because it's easy. They know what they're familiar with. So it requires some of the education on both ends, but also from these uh, entrepreneurs to make their businesses more uh, welcoming and, and also to lower the fear I don't know what I'm going in there for. Or what, I don't know what we'll experience. You know, I wonder, here's another thing I wonder about is um, there, there, besides just providing like the foods and um, like one of my colleagues, uh, Vicky Adame did a story on a, uh, a spot out in uh, Minnetonka where an Argentinian, uh, a couple of Argentinian chefs started a restaurant that features empanadas, which is kind of like a, you know, a, a very widely available dish in, in, in Argentina. But not only are they doing empanadas, but they're also, um, this, they're expanding to include other types of um, goods that you could usually only buy there. Or um, they're offering like tango classes on the weekends um, to increase that, you know, so people who um, want to also experience that part of the culture. Of course, not everybody who's coming there is going to be like from Argentina, but um, it's one of those things where if you're an Argentinian and you're here, you're going to want to go there. You know, and so it's like, I wonder if there are other spots that we can find that are not only just doing, you know, whether parts of the culture are they providing, you know, besides like uh, a, there's a marketplace, but are there other um, like musical venues? Um, there used to be a large, I don't know if they're still there, a large Mexican-American um, dance bar. Um, it's like a cowboy, I think it was called something cowboy or something like that, where it's like, it was like Tejano. El Rodeo. El Rodeo. Yeah, yeah. And I have friends of mine who'd go there and just loved it, you know. Um, but in, they would say you would find a lot of Mexican-Americans there um, and just serve that, um, that that filled, I think, a space for folks who were, you know, homesick for a certain type of, you know, um, place to gather and, and music to listen to and all that. Um, so that just made me think of that. I was just like, there are other things that, that these enclaves provide other than just, you know, like a, a place to get a, a, a bite to eat or something. There's other deeper cultural things that, that go along with that, I think. In rural Minnesota, the growth of the Somali community in places like Wilmer have opened up opportunities for immigrants to start small businesses that serve their enclave community. One area in particular that they need support is help with financing. Somalis that are Muslim can't use traditional American lenders because the Quran forbids Muslims from conducting cash transactions that involve interest. Organizations like the African Development Center step in to fill the gap. Hassan Fada is the director of business programs at ADC. 
I mean, the underlying wisdom behind uh, the religion telling people not to be part of interest or usury was just equality, you know, the, the fact that those who have tended to take advantage of those who don't have, and uh, you take advantage by charging usury, charging interest on the money that you have. ADC provides Islamic financing to help the business owners obtain the money or services they need. The client will come to us and say, I need this piece of equipment, or I need this piece of uh, machine, or I need this uh, inventory to be added to my business. Uh, They will provide us the invoice. We will go out and buy whatever they want, and then charge a markup profit on it. That way, then uh, we can be able to say, here, this is what we give uh, you guys uh, a pay us back in uh, 36 months or 48 months or 60 months. What we say is the profit that we will charge this individual will be exactly the same as uh, the profit that we will charge this other individual because the underlying principle is the same. Ultimately, ethnic enclaves must continually weigh the benefits that can come from either keeping more to themselves or being more open to the wider communities they are a part of. Bruce Corey thinks they can have a bit of both. If you really want to get, grow, there are these people out here who'd love to come in and experience it. But you've got to be that ambassador. And we, from the outside, can help be that ambassador. Thank you so much for listening. Untangled Roots is a production of NPR News and part of our North Star Journey Project. Untangled Roots would not have been possible without the work of many people, including executive producer Sarah Glover, producers Twyla Dang and Brent Williams, hosts Brent Williams and Jonathan Rabb, sound design and mixing Alex Simpson, researcher Ann Harrington, with original music by Greg Grease. You can learn more about Untangled Roots, the North Star Journey Project, and find additional resources by going to the NPR News website at nprnews.org. Untangled Roots was made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.